This message comes from NPR sponsor Progressive Insurance, where drivers who switch could save hundreds on car insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. You know, the day I can't be in my hood or in any hood, I don't, I don't even want to live. Welcome to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. And that is the unmistakable voice of today's guest, Fat Joe. Joe was one of those guys who's been around the block forever, and he's had a huge impact on hip-hop and entertainment as a whole. He's put out 13 albums and even started his own record label, Terror Squad Productions. He's helped start the career of his good friend and collaborator, Big Pun, who tragically passed away in the year 2000. Rest in peace, brother. And yes, me and Joe dig deep into Pun and their relationship. We'll also get into Joe's experience growing up Puerto Rican in the Bronx, the mecca of hip-hop. The convergence of hip-hop and the basketball culture, Joe's loyalty to his family, his friends, and his community, and how he views his own legacy. And even though I said legacy, this man is just getting started. His memoir, The Book of Jose, is dropping in November. Not to mention, he's got a one-man show and even an animated TV series in development. Incredible, right? But even with all he's done, it took the pandemic for Fat Joe to really reintroduce himself to the world. You see, that's when Joe started doing Instagram Live segments with all kinds of celebrities. They chopped it up and told undiluted stories to a captive online audience. I know, because I was one of Joe's guests during those times. So without further ado, here's my conversation with my man, the one and only, Fat Joe. Nobody was more terrified than me. Nobody was scared. Shit. I was a, a year and four months in the house. Never left. A year and four months? A year and four months. And I lived in Miami. So it's Trump country. So they didn't believe in masks. And so when I went to the supermarket, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Hoodie, goggles, Everything. mask, glove, Lysol. They was looking at me like, oh, he's one of them. Like, nah, it's a different time. Let me get my soda it's a different type of thing over there. Mm. I got I to tell you, man, this is a throwback for me. I mean, last time we really rapped was during the pandemic. I remember mm-hmm. I literally, you hit me on DM. I was like, you got me a half a bottle of wine in. So I was half a bottle by myself until like 12 o'clock at night just rapping with you, man. Like, it's just crazy how fast time switches. You coming off hosting the BET Awards, everything you've been doing, man. Like, mm-hmm. we're... Where were you back then? Take me to back when you were doing all your IG lives. You were really kicking Ooh. off. You've always had personality, but things really got kicked off. Yeah, I was scared to death, and uh, you know, because I'm pre-diabetic. Um, I was diabetic since I was 12, and then when I lost all the weight and got rid of the diabetes. But if you was watching news, they were saying people with diabetes are just dying. They just dying. So I was terrified of COVID, and uh, so I was home. Like, I was not faking it. I was home. Uh, And one day my daughter tells me, yo, Dad, let's go on live. I didn't even know what live was. And she was like, you could talk to your fans live. I said, get out of here. We turned it on one day. And uh, Michelle Obama, Kim Kardashian, Floyd Mayweather, everybody was stuck home. So people were, like, commenting. It was the craziest thing. I was looking. I was like, no way, Michelle Obama? (laughs) Kim Kardashian, like everybody was home. So it was like when D-Nice was killing and Mm -hmm. had a million people, people were home, so everybody was tapping in. And it was crazy to me, because if you go back to that, 
You'll see every time I clicked on somebody like you and saw you, I was like, oh, I, I could not even believe that there was a way to commute. Like, you know, the Mike Tyson, oh, we, you know what I'm saying? And, and every day it felt like, so we turned it into like a TV show on Instagram. So every day, Monday through Friday, just go on 8 o'clock, interview people. And we were talking about real topics, too, everything from domestic violence, because, you know, people were stuck home. That's when you really know if you love your wife or you love your husband or not. When you stuck for a year and four months in the same house, and the smaller it gets, the more tense it might be. Uh, and so that, that domestic violence was on the rise. So we was talking to people about a whole bunch of issues. I mean, I, I know you got me to talk about my accident, like my near-death experience. You got me to talk about trials and tribulations and family do you have any, is there one conversation in particular where literally you put down the phone and you're like, damn, I can't believe we, I just had that conversation with this person on my IG live? Well, the thing that happens to me is I live my life like an open book, total transparency. And so for me, I want people to learn about my mistakes. I want people to learn about my failure. I want people to learn about my wins. You know what I'm saying? So that we could just pass a baton of hope to the youth and to the people watching. So uh, there really isn't nothing off limits. You know, um, we just get on there and we talk. And uh, and being that, you know, in urban journalism or hip-hop journalism, there's been a thing to it to where people want clickbait. They want... Uh, shock jocking and they, they take you and they say hey Jay what's up my brother this and then they jam you up so people like you and me when we go do interviews we always got like this invisible wall of bars up like yo watch what you say um, but with me people know I'm safe I'm never gonna jam you up it's always gonna be positive and so they start dropping the gems like like Bobby Brown telling me he taught MJ how to moonwalk <laughs> Or uh, Reverend Al Sharpton saying that MJ, Michael Michael Jackson, rest in peace, went to the uh, funeral home where James Brown was at, because that, that was his idol, in the middle of the night, and combed his hair the right way and said, Mr. Brown combs it to the right, not the left. Mm -hmm. And so you hear all these gems, and you're like, wow. So you feel like a fly on the wall. We would never hear nothing like this, but, you know, Tune in to Fat Joe, you might hear something. So you're Puerto Rican and Cuban descent. That's right. Right? Born in the Bronx. That's right. Hip-hop is a multicultural, multi-ethnic thing in the Bronx, right? Back when you were coming up. Mm -hmm. What what questions did you have about your race and your background when you were at a young age? Um, you know, I grew up black. And so... Um, what does that mean, Joe? I'm going to tell you. My hood is 80%. 80, 90% black. My projects, my neighborhood was dominantly black. My grandmother's neighborhood was 99.9% .9 black. Where there was no popular Latinos or nothing like, you know, if they did, they was out the way. And so that's where I grew up. My moms lived there for 40 years in that community. So she's from the community. They love Miss Ruby, this, that. And so when I'm born, I'm not listening to salsa, and all that. I'm listening to uh, Gloria Gaynor. I'm listening to Stephanie Mills. I'm listening to I Will Survive. Oh, that's what my house was playing, right? And so 
it's hard for people to fathom that there were no social media. There was no Instagram. There were no nothing mm -hmm. like that. So I grew up blonde hair, green eyes, knowing I'm Latino, but thinking I'm black. Don't know how to explain it to you any other way, right? And so it wasn't until I went to high school um, and met another Latino brother that was a, a real dude. And he said, yo, um, come hang out with me in my hood. It's mm. 10 blocks away was like another world. So when we went to his hood, it was 90% Puerto Rican Latino flags in the window. The black guys over there thought they were Spanish. <laughs> no, this is a true story. I, know, yeah. I met the blackest guy out there. He was like, oh, I can't possibly think of this, this, that. He grew up in that other side of town. Mm. He was the fat Joe of the Spanish. And so... uh you know, and it was good. He inter I swear to God, I got a book coming out in November, the book of Jose. But I explained this in my book that I could not believe that it was like Puerto Rican heaven over there. Like, you know what I mean? It was just dominantly Puerto Rican. And I really started learning my Latino heritage over there. I was always Latino. I'm not. That's one million percent. My father's Cuban, never spoke English. Mm -hmm. He went to jail. The only time my father went to jail was we, we got stopped by some officers who were white and they pulled them over and they were saying license and registration. And my father kept telling them, no speaking English. It was a day like this, raining like that. No speaking English. And they was like, no, you speak English. You speak English. He was like, no speaking English. They locked my father up because he didn't speak English. Mm. Hardworking man, had his license, had his thing. I had to watch my father in handcuffs for the first time ever in the rain because he didn't speak English. So, of course, I'm Latino. I'm proud to be mm -hmm. Latino, but I grew up on that side of town. How did you learn how to fuse those two worlds together? I was born loved. My community always loved me. I can't break down to you. Was it hard for you being a Latino in hip-hop? Was it? I don't know that. Since I was born, I was Fat Joey. They loved me. I've never, you know, my community loves me to this day. You understand? We got a girl I grew up with that just collapsed and died um, last week. Keisha from my building, third floor. I got to go to an event in, in, in Miami. I pushed it all the way back to make sure I go to her, her viewing because that's my family. That's where I come from. That's my neighborhood, you know. Um, and so that, that, I, I didn't receive that, man. I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't receive racism. I didn't receive nothing. You know, I got my start at the Apollo Theater in Harlem, and they went crazy when they seen Fat Joe come out there. Like, I never had that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I am curious on how you deal with backlash, right? Because I know recently mm -hmm. you made some comments paying tribute to Latino pioneers in hip-hop, right? Though. Like, Can you just explain to our audience Give me what my happened? Instagram. Give me my phone. Funny you say that. I just pulled up, and this is what I just saw on Instagram. Because a lot of... Black hip hop fans were all in their rage and their feelings about it. That's not true. That's Twitter black mm. fans. Mm. It's not real fans, bro. I'm not too sure what's real on Twitter and what's uh, not. This is the first hip hop movie. Wild Style. That's Charlie Chase down with Crow Crush, one of the first hip hop groups in the world. Fantastic Romantic Five, Coker. I just saw this now. I didn't have it. Look, they're both Puerto Rican on the first rap groups ever. 
Can't make this Ruby D first Puerto Rican. Do you see Ruby D? Like this is from the infancy. Listen to what I'm saying. Cold Crush, Fantastic Romantic. When you go and you buy your books or you look at your 30 for 30 documentaries and they show hip hop's infancy, there was a photographer named Joe Conzo who took every picture. If it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have that. Mm. That footage of the Bronx looking like this, he picked up the camera. He's not hip hop. Charlie Chase, the DJ of the Cold Crush Brothers is not hip hop. Mm. Ruby D, the first Puerto Rican MC and Whip Wop from Fantastic Romantics, not hip hop. So I'm, I'm sorry guys, I grew up in the Bronx, not on the other side of town. I grew up where hip hop was born. You know, so when you look at Saudi Arabia and you see them going around Mecca, I was born in the Mecca. So Grandmaster Flash, who is one of the three founders of hip hop, is, is African by the cool hurt Grandmaster Flash. My brother was his crate boy. Hmm. So my brother, when he would go DJ at the legendary jams, my brother would carry milk crates that had vinyl. It's my brother, my blood brother, my brother Angel. They call me Little Angel when they see me. Grandmaster Flash and Melly Melly, they call me Little Angel. It's not my fault I was born at the place. You really can't argue with me. Mm. These are facts. This ain't controversial. This ain't nothing. This is a fact. Now, if you want to erase history, if you want to change the history, I don't know what to tell you, bro. Like, But, but I'm going to stand up for the principle. What's right, what I know to be correct, one million percent. When they make this hip-hop museum... Whatever Fat Joe said will turn out to be factual. It's not controversial. Does it bother you when you receive backlash, Joe? What happens with the backlash is, first of all, I don't believe Twitter. You know, because when they when they saying, when they cancel Fat Joe, I'm in the blackest neighborhood of Houston where they're loving me, carrying me in the air, tossing me up in the air. Joe, we love you. I'm in the ATL, just did the beat. I just hosted the Black Entertainment World. What? I don't know where these people are at, guys. I don't know if they're fooling you guys on social media or something. I don't see them. I have yet to be confronted in any place in America with somebody saying, well, I don't know who these people are. So when it comes to hip-hop history... You better not come for Fat Joe. He was there. He has knowledge and he has receipts. He's proud to represent his Cuban and Puerto Rican heritage. He's still deeply connected to the community that brought him up and protected him. And he gives back until it hurts. That's coming up next in my conversation with Fat Joe. You're listening to The Limits. Don't go anywhere. If you're a business owner, you know these sounds mean sales. And from the sound of it, your business is growing. Whether you're fulfilling orders from your home office or warehouse, Stamps.com helps you stress less about mailing and shipping and spend more time doing what you love most. Listening to ASMR. <clears throat> I mean, growing your business. But as you grow, so does the need for efficiency. Stamps.com simplifies your shipping and mailing process. Import orders from wherever you sell online. Find the lowest rates with the fastest delivery times. Instantly deliver tracking updates to your customers. And buy shipping and mailing supplies when you run low. Save time and money on mailing and shipping. Get started at Stamps.com today with code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, free postage, and a digital scale.
In any great story, there's a moment that sparks your curiosity, tells you there is more to uncover. How, how did this happen? How did we get here? That's where Embedded comes in. We are NPR's home for documentary journalism, immersive and intimate stories. I was stone-cold speechless. Nothing will ever, 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 ever be the same here. Find Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. What's happening on NPR Podcasts? More neighborhoods and more perspectives. The more of the world that you hear, the more you hear the world as it really is. NPR Podcasts. More voices. All ears. Find NPR wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. Welcome back to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. And yes, today we are talking to the one and only my brother, Fat Joe. You see, growing up in the Bronx, Joe watched hip hop history as it happened. Then he became part of that history himself. In this segment, Joe shares memories of his friend and brother, Big Pun, and the impact that Pun's tragic death had on his life. But first, I had to talk to my brother about some hoops, because he watched basketball and hip-hop evolve together, and he's partied with some of the biggest hoopers in the game. Wait until you hear some of these names he drops. Allen Iverson, Stephon Marbury, and even Charles Oakley, or Uncle Oak as I like to call him. Come on now, game always recognize game. Here we go. I want to bring it back to the hoops for a minute, man, because you were recently featured in the 30 for 30, right? The greatest mixtape ever, which was, it was a dope flip, by the way. It was, it was incredible, man. But take me back to like the 90s, like where there was this conversion. Like me hip-hop. as a fan? Yeah, you as a fan, you as, a, as an artist, just like this conversion where the athletic world and the hip hop world. When you talk about basketball and me just coming up in the 90s, we was in the club with, Oakley, we was in the club with Mace, we was in the club with even Allen Houston was in the club every night. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you go later on, me and uh, AI became really, really tight. So I would be in Philly all the time. And, you know, I was at his wedding, you know, so me me and AI, like brothers and uh, Stephon Marbury. So Stephon, I would be in the projects with him in, in Coney Island. And uh, and so I had some serious, serious relationships with ball players, um, coming up in the '90s, hanging out with them early 2000s, like, you know. But I, I mean, I hung out with everybody. How did that influence you on how you produced your art? Wow, um, basketball. I don't know if I ever said this, but basketball to me, with you, you playing. It's choreography. It's dancing. You dancing. I love Rondo. He dance. You know what I mean? And you in there, I'm not just saying individual achievement. I'm not just saying dribbling. But you dance until you find the right person to get the ball to. Um, and so hip-hop is the same thing. It's music. It's choreography. And so it just blends in. And so, like, tonight I'm scared. Tonight I'm scared because we... I hosted the BET Hip Hop Awards, and of course, basketball's back. Yeah. Tonight. Why? Like, you know what? That's how much I know, you know, and I was afraid to fly. So I've been all over this country. 
So I've ate dinner in barns mm-hmm. where people are going, don't go messing with a country boy. Country, I've been there, right? Getting myself a steak. I've been in the Texas border. I've been in L.A., Philly, wherever you name, and that basketball is on. And every bar, every lounge, every uh, a gym, every so you know it coincides together. Basketball and hip hop. You know when you guys are in the gym, y'all listening to hip hop. Yeah, it's all one thing, and we admire each other so much. I mean, I think they basketball players are the only people that rappers look up to. That's the craziest thing, because rappers, you got to understand, most of us come from nothing. And when you come from nothing and you make it to something, nobody can tell you nothing. So you're almost in your own world. So everybody got everybody, yo, yo, yo. But the only time we sit down and turn on that TV and tell our wives or our girlfriends to chill is watching that basketball. Yo, hold up. This guy's the man. You kidding me? This is the man. This is the God. Like, what are you talking about? It's the only time a rapper humbles himself. You know, and looks at the Greek and freak doing ill dunk and oh, jumps. Like, we don't do that for nobody else. Yo, I heard you on a, a sit down with Charlemagne, the mm-hmm. God. We've had him on the show too. Mm-hmm. And you said something that was so just fascinating and blew my mind where you mm-hmm. said, yo, rappers are, are like the, the man in the arena to a degree. Like, there's like no barriers because your life is in the streets, but yet you live this other life that's in fame and the light but you always go back in the streets and you're going back and forth like how do you how do you protect yourself joe i'm just blessed by god i'm gonna be honest with you and the day i feel walking amongst my people joe's no good no more and so fat joe is like a liaison fat joe's a guy who made it from nothing that the streets can still touch you know when mr williams wants to repair his church in the bronx they know how to find Fat Joe. But they come to Fat Joe, and Fat Joe's the middleman, and I go to Jay-Z and a couple of my other friends, and we repair the church. We don't publicize it, but that's what we do. So Fat Joe's like the guy we still could grab, but he could touch the affluent, right? And it's it's been a big job of mine to be in the community and helping the community and giving them inspiration and giving them hope. That, uh, you know, the day I can't be in my hood or in any hood, I don't, I don't even want to live. Now, to the contrary, Fat Joe be a big dummy if you hear he got shot in front of the projects and got killed. Like, yo, he's rich. Fat Joe don't need to be in these projects. What, what is he doing out here? Uh, so it's a real catch-22. Drew, I want to talk to you about one of the realest mm-hmm. lyricists, and you're in that category. But also mm-hmm. the late Big Pump, man. Oof. I mean, who you discovered, dog. And yeah. I mean, of course, his passing in 2000 was a crazy tragedy mm-hmm. for you. One of the things I just recently learned is that you lost your sister and your grandfather that same week, Joe. Crazy, bro. Crazy. I went in a deep depression for two years. I was in um, the tub looking at the at the ceiling without water all night and if I walked outside and it was sunny it looked dark to me I had to go get therapy I had to sit down with a therapist Fat Joe at the time thought he was the toughest guy in the world but every Tuesday I went there for two hours and sat with the therapist and it wasn't until like two years later uh, we was doing the big pun mural we do in the Bronx every year we change it 
And two guys, I owe this guy so much money, bro. I swear to you, I owe this guy. I never saw his face. If I saw his face, I would try to find this guy. Two guys are walking and one of them says, yo, what's that? What they doing? And he says, yo, that's the mural. They do that for Big Pun every year. Yeah, really? They do? He was like, yeah, it's been like two years. And the thing just said, two years, two years, two years, two years. Like a ricochet. Two years, two years, two years. And at that moment, I snapped out the depression. I said, yo, Joe, you've been beating yourself up for two years, mm -hmm. man. Can't bring them back. Can't bring them back. You know, you got to, you know, you have an obligation. You know what I'm saying? And so to me, now that I'm older, um, I know that uh, I have an obligation to the youth, to my community, uh, to the kids, to be transparent and just show them a better way, show them some type of hope. Uh, we grew up with so much hopelessness. You know, we don't believe that we could ever become successful. We could never be um, business uh, business leaders and stuff like that. So I try to show them. You know, that's why I open up businesses in my community. And I put schools in it. I have classrooms in the school, in, in the store, where people come and mentor them and teach them after school. And they could use computers and they could this. You know, uh, that's important to me. That's, 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 I'm not going to lie to you. That makes me feel good. You know, I'll tell you a story, Jay, because you, you touching some uh, issues. I went to, uh, one, one day I was in the Bronx and I went to get some gas. This terrible neighborhood too, but this, this like crime ridden, like mm -hmm. Fat Joe had no business there, right? But I, I pull up, I use the store, homeless man comes out. He says, yo, yo, it's Joe. I said, what's up? He said, nah, I don't want no money. He said, I don't want no money, Joe. I don't want no money from you, none. I looked at him. He was like, we know you gave all that money back to the fire victims. We know you give out the food. We know. I want you to know we know. And so. It's all right, fam. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I just, you know, I try to help everybody. It's crazy. You know what I'm saying? But when you got a guy like that who could tell you. Yo, Joe, man, we know. It's the homeless guy. He don't want no money. We know you help us. It's crazy to me. Joe, how do you... Mm -hmm. It's common ground here, man. Um, you know, I feel like as a African-American male, when I got drafted, it's funny. People like, yo, Jay Will, you made it. It was never, though, I made it. it was, we made it. It's a whole community. So I'm from Plainfield, New Jersey. It was Plainfield mm -hmm. got drafted. My family got yeah. drafted. First time ever in my life, mm -hmm. I felt the weight of, I had mouths to feed. Like I wanted to put everybody on, friends, mm -hmm. family. Mm -hmm. I want everybody to make it. Yeah. That, that weight is heavy, man. Yeah. That weight yeah. is heavy. How do you yeah. deal with it? I went through all that, you know what I'm saying? Being a young millionaire and buying 20 guys Cadillac trucks and paying everybody's rents and taking people on private planes, that, that's foolish, right? And, and survivor's guilt is a real thing. And me, I'm always there for you, but you can't take advantage of me. Somebody passed away, I'll give up the money for the funeral. I might have paid for 100 funerals, and I just paid for one last week, right? So funeral, some, a major crisis, you know, you could count on Joe, right? But that era 
or that time of my life is over. That was when I was young, thinking we could be rich forever. I went broke three times doing that, three. taking care three times from being a millionaire to go to the bank and it's zero money. Being a millionaire, come back a miracle. God, please get on my knees. Get on my knees. Please, God. Please, he gives me another hit. What's love? I get rich again. Then I go broke again, trying to take care of all these people. Then I get rich again, right? And and so that's a different type of conversation when you talk about survivor's guilt looking out for the whole whole hood. And so what what happens to me is empathy. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you guys, you know, you could have killed me. You know, all the time I, I was a troubled kid, Jay, like really, really a bad person. And they could have killed me in the in the lobby. They could have told the cops half the stuff I did. I could have still been in jail. My community protected me. They said, nah, we love Joey. We love Joey. And so I never forget that. And so that's why, you know, I always try to give back to the community, whether it's food, whether it's com computers, whether it's sneakers, it's opening business, giving them hope, donating $2 million, raising $2 million to the families of the burning victors, or sending four airplanes with a million pounds of food to Puerto Rico. Like, that's it for me. That's the currency. That's, that's the equity. You know, I want to go down with people saying, yo, you know, Joey, yeah. That's so deep. Talk about someone who has the weight of his community on his shoulders. When a guy that strong opens up and breaks down in front of you, it's like mountains moving. That was one of the realest, most emotional moments we've had in the studio and on the show. Coming up, we keep digging deeper with Fat Joe. Stay with us. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, close your eyes for a second. Now imagine you're on your dream vacation. No work calls to answer, no text messages to respond to, just your suitcase and an opportunity. The opportunity to just take yourself out of your routine and travel deeper. How to actually take that dream trip. That's on the Life Kit podcast from NPR. With NPR Plus, there's more to hear, like extended interviews with some of the experts we talked to at Planet Money and The Indicator. It's a mistake for economists to only think about economic efficiency when considering policies because you'll actually wind up with a worse outcome. And with NPR Plus, you help keep NPR going. Learn more at plus.npr.org. These days, news comes at you fast. But the truth... Getting there takes time. There's something that hasn't been disclosed yet. Embedded is a podcast that takes the time to look beyond the headlines. How how did this happen? How did we get here? With original documentary storytelling. Listen to NPR's Embedded wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Limits. I'm Jay Williams. And today, you are in for a treat with more wisdom from my man, Fat Joe. We talked about his family from one dad to another how Joe made the pivot from rapper to businessman, and the legacy he ultimately wants to leave behind. Here's more from my conversation with Fat Joe. What's your family mean to you, man? Uh, 
everything. My family has never heard the word no. From my mother to my father to my wife to my daughter to my sons, they've never heard no. It's always been yes, no matter what. And uh, my son Joey is autistic. Um, me and his mother were seeing each other. We broke up. We had like some makeup sex. She got pregnant. She insisted in having the baby. The baby comes out. The doctor tells us uh, that he's special, that he has Down syndrome. She tells me, let's give him up for adoption. I can't raise this kid. I'm only 19 years old. Me and my mother and father, we raised Joey. He's happy. He's a beautiful kid. And so I never give up on family. I'm always there. I have a brother who dealt with drug abuse his whole life. I might have put him in 40 drug rehabs. I might have bailed him out of jail 60 times. I might have, like, you know, I don't give up on family. You know, family is everything to me. Hmm. I admire families that they stick together no matter what. I love a family unit being together. You know, it's important to me. And, and a lot of, because I'm the rapper, a lot of wives of my friends don't realize I am the guy who keeps them together. <laughs> like, I'm the guy that you come and say, yo, I'm tired of her. I'm about, no, let's think about this. Yo, this is your wife. This is your kids. But you know how many marriages I might have saved in my life just trying to talk sense into guys? You know, because I just think you just, uh, when you're with somebody, you know, you should work through anything, anything. I mean, it's... Leaving each other should be the last, 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 last result. Like, we really hate each other. There's nothing we can do about it. Other than that, you got to work through things, man. Nobody's perfect, right? So my daughter grew up in Miami going to Catholic school. Uh, we would go to everything, the dances, the this, this, that. People would look at us and shun us because we dressed like this, or whatever, and be like, oh, that's the rapper guy, whatever, this, this, that. Five, six years later, my daughter's in seventh grade. 90% of the class got divorced. We don't see the fathers no more. We don't see, it was just like that. And, and the rappers, the bad people, him and his wife were still showing up together. Mm. And, and so people think and believe, if you want to let me say some controversial shit on here, is... People think that if they get divorced, the kids could work through it. It's not a problem, this and this and that. I disagree. I think that kid is hurt for life. And uh, and I would prefer people to work through it, you know, with their families. Because these kids, they know, like, yo, my moms and dad ain't together no more. They know it's a problem. They know that. I really believe that in my heart. You know what I'm saying? I've always believed that. And so uh, your kids, they know you love them. Yeah, man. You know, they know you're there for them. You know what I'm saying? And you stick it out and you're on the third one. And, you know, that's important, man, because a lot of people don't don't have that. And, and, and so a lot of things happen now where people just live for them. I wanted this and this and that. I'm 40. I'm this. It's crazy. They start living for themselves. And you be like, yo, what about the kid, man? Like, what about your kids? So I, wanna, I mean, obviously that fits into your character, man. I watch this character literally evolve right evolve from joey crack now to fat joe who's like a <laughs> businessman entrepreneur you always been that way mm-hmm. what if what if, what could you pinpoint on when that evolution started i've been an entrepreneur since i was 14 i've been outside my mom's house 
since I'm 14 and started doing the wrong thing and got really, really good at it. You know, it wasn't to a bunch of my friends were dying and going to jail for life that I pivoted and said, let me go to the Apollo Theater, become a rapper. And I remember walking in when I got signed, like 1992, to Relativity Records. I knew walking in the door, I was like, yo, I'm going to be a boss. Hmm. I'm going to have my own record label. I'm a signed artist. It wasn't just being an artist. You know, of course I wanted to be the best MC. It's always been my mentality to be an entrepreneur, always to be a boss. So how'd you make that pivot? Because a lot of people are in that position where they're the entertainer, right? But then how do you turn that into enterprise? Well, I watched Puff Daddy. I knew Puff Daddy when he was promoting parties and all that. I saw what, you know, me and Biggie, rest in peace, were brothers. I saw everything he did with Biggie. And so I'm coming out of Bodega. And some Spanish kids are rapping, and the biggest one says, yo, let me rap, twin, let me rap. And he starts going, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Boom, he stops and goes, snatch the moon out the sky. And blow the sun away. Me and my brother's playing hardcore. I was like, oh, my God. It was a big pun. I grabbed him. I threw him in my Lexus. I was already on my, wrapping up my second album. I, was like, I threw him in the car. I said, I'm going to make you the Spanish biggie. I know how they did it. I was there. Just randomly outside of Bodega. Right, randomly outside of Bodega. But what I'm trying to tell you is that Fat Joe, uh, if I sit next to a smart person for, for enough time, I figure it out. I'm like a sponge. You know, I just soak it up, man. I just, I, I, and I need, a, I need to leave behind a huge legacy, like a huge legacy. I want my uh, great-grandchildren to look at a painting of the fat guy on the wall and be like, yo, who's that? That's our grandfather, Fat Joe. <laughs> he left boss. us this. <laughs> He's the one who did this. <laughs> He's the man. And so that's what I'm after. How would you interpret your legacy? Uh, as long as I'm still here, it's not even... It, it, we haven't scratched the surface. We got four TV shows coming out this year. Stars, Fox, Showtime. One man show introduced by Dave Chappelle. Uh, this we we riding this thing out. This is uh, this is uh, you know, Fat Joe's slogan is you gotta stay in the game. You never know. Hmm. That's a you never know. People's slogan is like just do it. I'm loving it. No, mine says you gotta stay in the game. You never know. Like <laughs> you never know. Like you better stay in that game because. You never know. Like, mm. you know, if you were to ask Fat Joe 20 years ago, would he be here um, hosting TV shows and this and this and that and having businesses? No way. So you got to stay in the game. You never know. Also, to all employees out there, working hard, if you think there ain't, somebody's watching. And so you can relate. Whenever you watch a Kobe documentary, you watch a MJ documentary. It's a Michael Jackson documentary. It's always, they're always the first ones in the gym and the last ones to go. They're always the first ones and the last ones to go. The hustle never stops. And so what I'm saying to you is if you're working in the office, you're working anywhere, wherever, doorman. Right? Fat Joe watches the doormans. I got a doorman in Miami named Steve. 
that if I ever open a store or, or a business in Miami, I'm going to snatch him up. Steve is the hardest worker in the world. I would pull him right beside me. There's a Mexican man who pumps gas here in Jersey by my house in snowstorms and rain. If I open up something that I could use this man, I'm going to get him. Hmm. And so people are always watching. So you got to be first in there and last there. You think you got a job, you punch in and out. That's not how you get to the elite level. That's not how you get considered for these positions. And so you got to stay in the game. You never know. And so my legacy, I'm still in the game. Joe, I really appreciate you taking the time, man. Yeah. And shout out to NPR. I did a tiny desk with them. Okay. I'm really proud of that. Uh, and they were nominated. NPR was nominated in the BET Hip Hop Awards. I was shocked. It was Drink Champs. It was Million Dollars a Game. NPR, Tiny Desk. I was like, yo. That's what's up. So I'm glad they getting the props they deserve. You know, sometimes when people speak, you can feel the energy shift in the room. And frankly, the presence of Fat Joe is still reverberating on this mic and on camera. If you watch this episode on NPR's podcast channel on YouTube. A big shout out to my man, Fat Joe, and his team for making this whole thing go down. On this week's Plus episode, Fat Joe's close relationship with DJ Khaled and Eminem. And we hear his take on the realest MCs in hip-hop history. Remember, stay positive and let's keep it moving. The Limits is produced by Devin Schwartz, Deba Motosham, Max Friedman, and Lena Sunsgeri. Video production by Kaz Fantoni, Langston Sessoms, Christina Shaman, Iman Young, and Nick Michael. Our executive producers are Karen Kenny, Verilyn Williams, and Yolanda Sangueni. Our senior VP of programming and audience development is Anya Grumman. Music by Ramteen Arablui. Special thanks to Christina Hardy, Rudy Correa, and Charlotte Rigby. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country. But from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. The economy right now is bewildering, impenetrable, inconceivable. Not when you have the indicator of our guys in your ears. In under 10 minutes every day, we simplify the complicated news, like... How does inflation drop? What the heck is a SPAC? Why are trendy little high-fiber sodas suddenly dominating store shelves? And more. Listen to The Indicator from Planet Money and NPR. I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR.